make 2020 fantastic. Come to Aircon, 13th to the 15th of March, and you can meet some fantastic people, play some fantastic games. Just everything is going to be fantastic. You can get your tickets now by going to aircon.co.uk forward slash tickets or by following the links in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for January. Because it's the beginning of the year, isn't it? Well, it's almost halfway through the beginning month of the year. Eh? That might be confusing to some. Might not be confusing to others. Might be a little bit of a conundrum. You might even say it might be a little bit of a riddle. There's only one thing to do. When you want to work yourself out a riddle, is you go and get somebody who knows all about being a riddle. So I've got Corwin Riddle. Corwin Riddle, he they're in charge of strange space games. And they are here to talk about a little bit about Arcane Alley and its expansion that is going to be coming up very, very soon. Might be as soon as you're listening to it. You might be a little bit starstruck. You might even be possibly a little bit moonstruck. Here he is. It's Corwin. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Rich? I'm, yeah, I'm all right, I think. Yeah, I'm good. I can't complain. I, you know, it's been, a, it's been a decent start to the year. Um, and long and long may it can continue. I've got to ask, you're in the other side of the world in um, Texas. Is it... As cold here as it is there, are you not even having to worry about a jacket or anything like that? Is it like a blistering 100 degrees or something stupid? (laughs) I have the windows open. It's about about 75 and nice and sunny and pretty much the reason I live here. (laughs) I pretty much have almost got my jacket on and the heating... (laughs) It's about as far as up as it can get because it's like it's one of those colds where you're so cold that you can't get hot, even if you decided to kind of set yourself. I could be recording this in a warm bath and I'd still be feeling quite cold, so we're just gonna kind of power through. Um, but you're here, you're here to talk about um, your expansion for Arcane Alley because that funded last year because the first time and this is where we do the kind of the shameful bit is um that we kind of started talking um a long time ago and i'm so ashamed i'm not even going to talk about it but that was when you were first bringing arcane alley to the uh to the forefront to kickstarter and it went ahead and it got funded um and now you're coming back with moonstruck market um but you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, because we can talk about board games all day, and board games are okay. But yeah, um, they're fine. How, how they're all right? It's a living. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> um, how um, long you been involved in? How long you been involved in kind of designing them? I mean, have you always take me back I, a bit? I mean, when did you start kind of putting pen to paper? Um. So, I guess. Uh, officially, when we were kids, we used to kind of make up our own games, and you know, we'd played. Uh, it was back when like Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo just came out, and mm-hmm. we would make our own Sonic levels, like just get sheets of paper and line them up and make these really long side-scrolling levels for you know a game that didn't exist, and then really, yeah. And use uh, we get all those, those little stencils and everything to make sure the loop de loops were perfectly circle and stuff like that. Um, and I guess that's did you give them? Did you give them names? Did you have oh, yeah. little names for the levels? Can oh, yeah, you yeah, every... rem- can you remember what they were called? <laughs> no, 
they uh, yes, i think the only rule we had was they had to be alliterative i think almost all of them you know uh-huh. be like crooked canyon or you know or something like that it had to sound like i it would fit in the game i guess we were pitching it to them even though you know no one ever knew about them <laughs> i get i get a feeling this is coming from a place that you actually remember every single level and every single one that you created but you're refusing to tell <laughs> me in case i judge you and it's fine there's no judgment here you are in a safe you know you're in a non-judgmental zone i promise i won't laugh but um <laughs> was it <laughs> did you end up just like taking the green hill zone and then just changing it slightly or the casino place and things like that or did you kind of like fully have completely your own ideas you know was there a snow level was there one that's got candy in it and stuff like that is that the type of thing that you did i feel like yeah i mean you know how like most games that had levels they'd be like okay here's the basic mechanic and now we're just gonna skin it with like 10 different things we would kind of do that so we would copy the green hills level but we'd be like yeah but this one's lava totally different and you know then have an ice one and and stuff like that um but uh yeah we would do that for like a lot of games um Mm. most of the i guess video games is most of what we did when uh growing up because as kids the only we you know we had um dungeons and dragons and and, uh, hero quest and rift and stuff like that but for the most part it was uh you know like a 1970s version of Trivial Pursuit that's still talking about <laughs> the Soviet Union. You know? Exactly. And not really interesting to like a 10-year-old. <laughs> You're kind of going into class the next day and the teacher's kind of covering history. <laughs> and you're just like you're like reading all these different things and it's like and you're just getting question after question wrong and it's like, I thought I Trivial Pursuit, you lied to me. You know, you end up in detention because you still, because <laughs> everybody <laughs> they're still talking about like the good old days of communism and stuff like that, and you're just like getting quest. You're just you know, it's wrecking your life for you kind of things. Um, you mentioned kind of, um, you mentioned kind of like your siblings. So was there quite a few of you in the family, or was it just like a brother or? or oh, sister? I have two brothers. Um, All right, okay. Yeah, one's a year older, the other's four years younger, and we all, yeah, we all kind of played video games and and stuff. Like, we would have, we would band together this alliance to get every Mm -hmm. new system, and I feel like it was the only thing that made us get along, because if we misbehaved, you know, we're losing the N64 for the weekend, and we could be wrestling and bloody nosed and if the if the parents came in oh we're not fighting we're totally fine <laughs> did you have like a signal it's like quick <laughs> mama mama bird is in the nest mama bird is in the nest stop punching <laughs> your brother <laughs> um you're obviously a middle child then so you were kind of like right in the middle so was it it would always been your fault Every single time. Because either you were fighting your big brother or you're fighting your younger brother. Stop hitting your younger brother. But mom, he just called me the most ridiculous name. What did he call you? He called me a... D- Go to your room. I don't want to hear that language coming out of your mouth, young man. So you're kind of continually, continually kind of stuck in in the kind of the middle. Um, did you... You obviously, you mentioned the kind of the creative stuff as well. Were you quite... Were you quite arty? Do you continue... Are you quite artistic or are you quite graphical? Because there's a difference, obviously, between between the two. You're quite a visual person, then. Yeah, definitely visual. I did. I went to art school for two years, mm-hmm. and the uh, I was kind of doing like a, a double thing. I was doing art school and then also like English and creative writing, and mm-hmm. the uh, I was trying to do illustration. I wanted to do industrial design. You know, where like you're making those cool like grayscale like isometric drawings of like cars and airplanes and stuff like that yeah um i wanted to do that but you had to do all the basic stuff first and we we had to write papers as well for some of like the art history classes and i had a professor that was the uh so i I went to michigan so it wasn't just an art school like they had an art school but also you know they had like the uh literature science and arts and all the other programs yeah 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 yeah. but um i had a professor who was professor of the like the 
standard drawing illustration class that I was taking, like my second semester, and also he was one of the art history professors, and I turned in my first paper, and he would, he approached me, he was like, uh, you should drop out and do English if you can write this well, because your art's okay, but... <laughs> He's like, but I think that your writing is pretty good, and you probably have a better chance doing that. <laughs> how did he? How did he start that conversation? Is he, Corwin, you ever been let down gently? <laughs> <laughs> Corwin, have you ever had your dreams crushed by someone? Uh, let's just say, for example, me. <laughs> <laughs> Corwin, are you the type of person who's just going to openly weep when they're given bad news? <laughs> Oh, I can see you tearing. Oh, so that's the yes. Yeah, no, it was it was the best advice I think I ever got. Um, because I I did kind of uh I did like I didn't drop out. I just like kind of transferred to the literature department and did a sideways shuffle. Right. Yeah. Okay. It, it, if I if I'm if I'm moving departments, I'm dancing my way over there. But it, it was nice and yeah, I I enjoyed it and I ended up like I had a um. I graduated a, like a, just an English uh, creative writing degree, but mm. I've done like graphic design and stuff since. Yeah. Oh right, and like I do all the terrible sketches for like the uh, for the artist who like makes the beautiful illustrations. I'll make some like because I know general what like kind of colors and shapes and composition I want. So yeah, I'll scribble down this horrid looking thing that kind of has the right color palette and say do this, but you know. Not poorly. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, I mean, did you, have you always then continued to dabble in the other side of things? I take it. As time goes on, you're still kind of like, oh, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just doodling away. If something's bored and I've got like a pen, I can just like muck about and stuff like that. Yeah, not really. I just, I guess I never put in the time necessary to become good enough at actual mm-hmm. illustration. So I can, I can do concepts and some perspective and stuff. Yeah. But, I guess graphic design, I can do more. I can make logos and, you know, design, like, a T-shirt or, like, frame and stuff like that. Like, I, I made, like, the logo for the the Strange Space games and, like, most of the uh, the stuff that's in the game. If it's not, like, an actual illustration, I probably made it in Photoshop, so. Yeah, because actual, illustra- actual illustration is ridiculously difficult to do. As in, yeah. to do the proper stuff. Because I've got a friend, uh, Jesse, and they do um, they do amazing work. You can see them in Filthy Wizard if you go and search on Twitter. And they do commissions as well. It's a quick plug, but, you know, shout out a friend when you can. But they're kind of like, you'll see their, like, their latest work, and you're just like that. I can't even you know, like, do perfect faces. You know, you get something that's like, if that was animated, then that would be just amazing. And the artwork is just absolutely fantastic. And then I'm like, oh, I could try and copy that because I have done art and I'm just like, no, that's just rubbish. I'm going <laughs> to burn, burn every single kind of art supply that I've ever I've ever kind of seen. And I can do the graphic stuff, but I'm again, it's just I'm not I'm not kind of kind of practiced enough. Um, so did you take a step away from board games? Are you still kind of doing a little bit of like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that while you were doing the creative, you know, the more creative English stuff. Because I would have thought that in some ways, depending on the direction you take with kind of like the English kind of major, that you would have ended up kind of potentially kind of staying with that, kind of keeping your your finger in the kind of the, the fantasy D&D kind of pie kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think so. I hadn't actually... Like, I used to play growing up um Mm -hmm. and mostly like video games took over for like most of college and then after that i moved uh down here to austin um and have like some friends who like D &D and stuff like that and i think Mm -hmm. that's when i really kind of got into it and started like like dming and running my own games and writing stuff and the uh I think, yeah, I, I think I probably did more then than ever before with, like, the uh, art stuff. I wrote a lot of adventure. I, <laughs> I have a website, I'm going to make sure it's still up, where I used to post right. my D&D adventures, like, in PDF okay. form. Okay. 
We, you have to tell us this now because I'm, I'm not having you forgetting this. What's it called? Okay, it's called uh, readyinaction.com. Like the. Uh... Ready in action or readyinaction.com. Yeah, I guess it's all like 10 years old now. I'm looking at it now. But um, yeah, I sent stuff into Wizards of the Coast. They, you know, they let you send in um, like adventures and stuff that they'll publish. Mm-hmm. And they, they, I think they bought a few and they published, I think, two um, like little adventures. That's pretty about, cool. Like, some, yeah, it's kind of cool. It was like in their online thing. That's like, kind of cool. These dark dwarves in some refinery in the middle of some messed up like forsaken <laughs> valley or something and then you gotta go in and steal a hammer or something <laughs> I forget everything but the hammer was central to the plot I remember that much <laughs> I don't remember anything at all but I do remember that that hammer <laughs> that hammer was everything did it have a name it was called um, uh, Longnear <laughs> it wasn't copied from anywhere at all <laughs> Um, you know, it had an inscription as who, whoever has the strength not to drop it on the foot, um, shall gain the power of, um, um, of gardening. There you go. <laughs> Have a green thumb, kind of, kind of everywhere. But how did you then move on? I mean, I, I take you. What are you worried? Were you, did you move down to text to Austin to get a job? Job then is that? Or did you move? Did you, were you leaving someplace as opposed to going someplace? I guess is that. Oh no, I I had a couple friends who had moved here before I graduated college, and mm. so I had visited a couple times, and so I had planned to move here. Mm. And our, you know, like bright-eyed young twenties dream was we were going to start a video game company together, and you know, you were going to handle this, and I was going to do this, and then we were just going to do, make all these games that we thought were amazing, and that didn't really pan out. Um, but uh, you know, we all stuck around, and uh, just because like the weather and culture, and for me, almost entirely the weather. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's either that or you go back to Michigan. What's it like in Michigan? It's a little bit colder. I can make it work here. Oh. I can make it work here. <laughs> yeah. But then, I, didn't. I mean, but what kind of video games are you thinking of making? I mean, if not, you said you played a lot of video games. You mentioned the Super Nintendo. You mentioned the, the, the Genesis or the Mega Drive, as we call it. So did you stay with, like, the that lane and then go into the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, all the way up, Xbox kind of thing? Is that what you were kind of doing is that what led you to say well i can actually i want to design video games for a living yeah so we did like all those games and we did follow that path you know up to like gamecube and all this stuff and then um and i think that's what the when we actually like started started i think like gamecube was still like kind of like the top of the line thing um but no we wanted to do i i mean now you just call them indie games back then there weren't really many people doing them so i mean you just call them whatever, but yeah, you know, like a top-down, like, pixel art RPG and, like, a world we created, you know, like, almost like Secret of Mana kind of style, um, but we would, uh, we would design all the parts that you should do last first, because that's the fun stuff. Like, we, we have yeah. the story down, the backstory yeah. for every character, <laughs> and, like, names for the castle that they'd be going to, and exactly how many rooms, and, like, what art would be hanging there, and then we'd be like, well, should we make an infrastructure for coding this? And be like, ah, it's not important, we'll do that later. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, what are we going to do? Well, we could just send out everybody 1,500 pictures in a box. Is that not known as a book? Um, I guess. (laughs) And we could send them a learn to code book at the same time, so if they really like what they've read and they've loved our illustrations and everything then we can teach them how to kind of program at the same time. And to be perfectly honest, I, I've spoken to quite a few kind of video game designers who have ended up in the board game space because they've got an amazing vision and it's just getting a pixel to move three spaces from the left to the right and then recognise what it should do with another pixel should do it. 
is so much easier if you're just dealing with like a deck of cards and some dice and some you know and some counters instead. So I've seen a lot of people who've who've said, well, a lot of the time originally the game that I was going to make, I was thinking about a huge grand vision that was going to appear on a PC, and uh, yeah, and I mean in those days, I mean PC indie gaming, I mean it's only really kind of really really taken off again in the last kind of seven or eight years i mean when i was when i when i was a lad when i was a lad um well i mean let's face it when i was a lad kennedy was still alive um but no but there was it was you were shut down i mean there was only the consoles and in order to be able to program to the consoles you had there was only three or four kind of big companies that actually did any of the games, you know, the Nintendo naturally never did an awful lot of third-party publishers. Sega did a little bit more, but nothing huge until the, even the PlayStation One came along. And even then, you know, it took a while for them to bring in all the kind of the indie ones. So I know where you're, I kind of know where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, and if I mean, if you wanted to do anything, it was really more like, I mean, I think Steam came out, but Steam just carried you know, their yeah. games, they weren't such a shop of indie games. So, like, if you wanted to make a game, you were making it in, like, Flash or something and then hosting it on a website. And it was, like, something you'd exactly. play there or it was something they'd download and they'd have to have the program to run it. It was, you weren't jumping into any existing, like, consoles or anything. I know, because it's just, it was so, it was so kind of difficult to, it was kind of, so kind of difficult to do, basically. Um, that yeah, I mean, there was always there was like a huge wall. As I say, it's not like now. I mean, nowadays you actually get kind of um, toolkits. I mean, you're talking about kind of creating, kind of like when you were creating like the next Secret of Mana. But there's an RPG toolkit that you can actually buy where you can go ahead and you can design pretty much everything that you want to do within reason and kind of get it set up and kind of getting it working out there. So the tool, it's more a case, there's like more of the tool sets are out there, toolkits are out there for people to um, make their own stuff. And then getting it on Steam is kind of like, I mean, to be, to be perfectly honest, Corwin, it's, it's kind of like just like sticking a podcast out there and seeing, <laughs> seeing who picks it up. To be perfectly honest. It's, it's like, like there's what there's two there's two sides of the divide here, you know. For <laughs> I feel like it's the so it is so easy now. You can just get Unity and you can just download yeah. like RPG Pack and it's like here's your art and then it's like we already programmed in all the collision. Here are the layers yeah. for where things appear. It's almost like too easy, right? So it's like this this point where to succeed, it needs to be easy enough that someone breaking into it can still make a game and mm -hmm. get it out there but it can't be easy enough where everybody can do it because then it's just flooded and the market's so saturated that no one's even going to see your game because um, it's so easy for anyone to put one out and I I mean it's kind of like that with board games now you know Kickstarter lets anybody like you know release one and there are so many all the time and I mean it, it's hard to like stand out do, but do you want it to be the other way where it's impossible for someone to do it no you want more games but it does you know it, it does saturate the market so i think um and i've been there with kickstarters i think it needs um it needs a steam it needs another it almost needs like a steam platform do you know what i mean because i see a lot of people kind of um, I mean, last week there was like how many huge big Kickstarters were kind of going on. We had like Return to the Return to Dark Tower came out, and then there was um, Oath by Later Games came out, and then it's like you know, heaven, you know, kind of like heaven forbid if you'd launched in the same couple of days as those guys because you're just getting, you know, just like going, oh, okay, um, thanks, I hate it kind of thing but i guess you know i mean even monolith um monolith released a new um campaign to go with their kind of their batman chronicles and their conan stuff and then they kind of, they kind of got they kind of did the seinfeld at the cinema okay i'm out 
kind of thing. Okay, I'm out. Yeah. I'll see you. Kind of, but I think that was because if you looked at the campaign, um, it was uh, <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like somebody had explained kind of Kickstarter to like um, one of those AI programming robots. <laughs> <laughs> And then you it wrote the good... erratic fan fiction of <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it kind of went okay, Richard. Right? I can't, I don't know. I think it was. I ended up. You see up Conan kind of... from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> you see his, his his glistening muscles. He's obviously been killing bad guys because he's covered in he's covered in blood, but he's also he's got glistening sweat across his brow, and he smells fantastic. Batman loosens his cowl slightly as <laughs> he can't believe the vision is in front of him. And he decides to walk gingerly towards Conan, realising that the angry barbarian might just pick up his sword and cleave what he thinks is a demon in two. And it kind of goes on. And we can continue that, and that could be the rest of the rest of the podcast. You know what? Tune in next a week. for this, actually. <laughs> Kickstarter erotic fan fiction. Yeah, it's like one of those, uh, you know, Marvel vs. Capcom games. It except, is. You know, yeah. they make out. <laughs> except it's full-on kink kind of thing. You know, it could be just about zombie side. <laughs> it's, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole range of, there's a whole range of stuff, you know, you could, you could, you know, a Dinosaur Island, you know, but they're all just eating face um, instead of each other. I mean, it just... You know, but let's let's move away. But yeah, but I saw that, and I kind of, as I say, it was like remember when they had that Google thing where you could put a photograph into stuff, and it would prop out this thing that looked like it was all made of eyes. I was like, that was, that was kind of like the monolith Kickstarter king because I looked at it and I went, right. So, um, this is like trying to make like a cake, and you're only allowed eggs. I was just reading. I don't know if you got a chance to read it. It was absolutely fantastic, and I'm. I don't mean to take. I don't mean to take the piss out of them, but at the same time, I do because, goodness sake, get somebody to read your Kickstarter before you kind of put it out there. Because they had like. um, Did you read it at all? Yeah, I. I I did go through (laughs) it. Um, it. It was weird because for a couple of reasons. Like the one was it was it was hard to follow. And it to like it was like what are like what are you pledging for? They're 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 offering a rule set. Yeah. Well, I mean that's what the title seems to imply. But then everything is like these add-on packs for miniatures. And I was like, are, so are they trying to sell miniatures? Or are they trying mm-hmm. to sell a new game? Or are they what most of the Conan fans in the comments thought? Are you trying to resell us the game we just bought? Um, I saw that as well. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, I kind of read it. The thing was, is that the stuff that told you was like an animated GIF. So I started reading it. I was like, okay, so blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's all disappeared. And And then it came back up again. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm the type of person, you know, if I sometimes need to use a finger to read stuff, so I need, you know, I need to point and go, oh no, he's put complicated words in there, and then on, and then it's all just disappeared. And it was like the challenge of the Kickstarter was you got the full reward if you were able to read the campaign. So I think they went, I think they got to a certain amount because oh, we're not going to reach our goal, and it's like, oh, you think. Um, but that was inter- it was strange to see um it was strange to see a company that had done so big with like their previous Kickstarter on Batman to kind of make that mistake. And I guess there's a couple of folk going, that gives us hope. <laughs> Cause yeah. you know, if it, you know that gives us hope kinda of going kinda of going forward. Um what got you into because let's um, let's move away from me openly slagging off uh, a publisher for his Kickstarter presence and say, okay, we can quite firmly score them off the list of ever getting any of them on the show. Um, so, that, <laughs> so that's we'll so just that's, cut this part out. We'll just no. we'll stop and just we'll just cut in like another five minutes of like Conan. Uh, like prowling <laughs> through the Batcave 
Prilex through the Batcave hold, holding a note. You know, Batman looked up from his chair, are you here? And he says, and Conan looks up and says, you sent me a note to break up with me? You sent me a note? <laughs> you know, I gave you my sword, I know. You know, and then, and yeah, we could cut this in. It's just going a, a funny, how did he find the Batcave? We don't know. But anyway, so... What made you just try to go back to being kind of seatbelts? As I say, you were like, oh, you better kind of step in and control me in case it all goes to the pot. Well, <laughs> this is what happens. The wheels are <laughs> off the car. We're going down the hill. We have no idea if we're going to hit the river or we're going to jump over the river and crash into the trees. Kind of, There's going to be a crash. We know there is, but we just have to figure out when and the where's. Um, what I'm saying is... What made you pick up a pen, paper, card and say, I'm going to give this a shot. I think I could make something myself. I think we had been... So the D&D campaign we play, um, I, I changed... We, we would be playing and something would happen and we'd say, well, I mean, this rule doesn't really seem to make sense a lot. Like, it would be like... When you die and we we were playing fourth edition, but we're like when you die in D anD D or your guy goes down to zero hit points, they're like, okay, well here, uh, just uh, roll this die and see if you die or not. Mm-hmm. Like, and, like oh, this is, you know, it's just you get three bad rolls and your guy's gone forever. Yeah, and so we're like, well, let's make a different system. So we made like a negative hit point pool, and if you reach the max of that then you're dead for good, but otherwise you're just taking injuries and they don't heal very quickly. So like if let's say you get down to zero, blah blah blah, and you get hit, you go down to negative ten or fifteen, mm-hmm. you get yeah. healed, you heal from zero. But the next time you go below zero, you start at negative fifteen. And you just keep going. So if you do eventually reach it, then you die. But it never. It always felt like if you were gonna die, you like you either kind of knew it was coming, or maybe you did something to deserve it. And it was just getting yeah. rid of those feel bad moments where you're like, "This is this is unjust. <laughs> I I don't deserve this death." Exactly. Yeah. Those those owl bears deserved everything that happened to them. God damn it! Now where's my spoon? I'm going back in for seconds, kind of thing. But yeah, we we would change like a rule like that, or we would um, we added in like a way to modify gear with like gems to like increase their stuff because it was just weird that you'd be like, "This sword is my family's heirloom for generations. I have carried this." Oh, look, a plus one, and you just throw it in the trash, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so it like a way to keep your items that you know you felt like defined your character and stuff. Like, yeah, but, but um. The cool thing about the fourth edition D and D game is that like uh, it was almost like a it would transform into like a board game when you started combat. It was grid based and it had yeah. very specific like distances and like ranges and like area of effects for your moves. And so it's almost like a um, like Final Fantasy Tactics or like one of those RPG isometric games where like you're shoving someone and you're whatever you're in a cutscene, but then the second like they're like, well, I hit back. And like, okay. <laughs> and it's like combat has begun and now it like zooms in on like the board um i could just imagine that, while you're playing <laughs> like you start in the background skin okay play the tape and you start playing the final fantasy 7 kind of battle music in the background we, we did have you're... battle music <laughs> <laughs> i think it was just like a general spotify list but yeah we would <laughs> Did you have? I always found that I got the best results in my D and D campaigns where I had an active violinist at the table, <laughs> and I'm just like, because it just adds an entire dynamic, you know. Especially if the violinist um, kind of doesn't know exactly what's going on, and they can say, "Should we open the door?" I don't know. Should you open the door? <laughs> and then you know. You could actually get people to roll their dice faster and make mistakes. So she's going that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that. I think that's something that has to happen. Um, 
Definitely. If anyone's thinking of DNA D and D, get yourself a violinist. I think, or or even that if it's quite a, a quite a sad um, kind of campaign, you could have an accordion player. Oh yeah, for uh, every death, bring in the uh, maybe bagpipes. Nah. <laughs> bagpipes, because that, no, because all you'd have is you'd have just fifteen renditions of Amazing Grace kind of going on all the time, um, or or a trombone. It's like because all the D, all the all the DM would do is go, you fall over, and that would be, the, and then what happens? You fall into oh, you've sprung the trap. What is it? It's slidey floor, and that would be, and that would be, and that's why I never DM because um, I can never find a violinist. We can imagine trying to explain it. Would you come along in our D and D group? Um, and stand around and just provide incidental music because I think that would be that would be brilliant. Um, We're playing oh, the orchestra hall as usual. <laughs> exactly. You're willing to give us union rates? I'll I'll consider it. I'll think about it. <laughs> I'll think about it. Um, what about Arkin Alley? I mean, where did that come from? That came from. So just kind of doing like the when you play D and D, we'd like design little mini games and stuff like that. At some point, I think we were playing some other board games like Pandemic and stuff, and we we're like, you know what, we really don't like this rule, and so we would change some rule, and then we change another rule, and we get to the point where we're like, I feel like we're not playing the game. <laughs> we're playing a different game now, <laughs> and so I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll try doing something like that. And Arcane Alley, as we had. There's this game called Nine Card Golf mm-hmm. that um, one of my good friends showed us. And we didn't even know what it was called for the longest time. We just called it Nines because you have nine cards. Mm-hmm. And we would play this. And this was our just like, let's just hang out and talk kind of thing. Because you just get to do one thing on your turn. It's mostly about luck. Like, I mean, you can kind of choose where you place a card. But if you get crappy ones, you lose. You know, <laughs> it's not like... <laughs> It's not life and it's death. It's not like skill is really coming through that much. But um, it's just enough of like uh, engagement to make you feel like you're playing a game while still hanging yeah. out. Um, yeah. And I, we were playing it and I was just like, you know what? I I think this could actually be a pretty in-depth game if we changed it in some ways. And it was almost like sacrilege. Like, we're not changing nines, dude. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'll make my own <laughs> nines. Like- a better it's nine. either us or nines. I'll make yeah. tens. Get it up, yeah. <laughs> I'll make nine plus ones. It'll make your nines look like nine minus ones. You'll be playing eights from now on when I've finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just turned around with a flourish. <laughs> Made sure you had big hair at the time so you could sweep it away and walk out the door. You'll oh, all be sorry. <laughs> You'll all be sorry when I bring back my tens. And off he went. Um, Cloak swoosh. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> slam door. Oh, hi, Batman. How you doing? Oh, you look sad. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. So, um, And then I needed, like, um, one of the things was like, well, you need something like different effects when you play the cards and do stuff mm. with the cards and a uh, different way of keeping score, more interesting, like, end game. A way to keep the game a little shorter, give you a little more control, and then I was like, well, I need to theme it, and it's like, well, uh, I had been thinking about like just some kind of like black market game, but it just felt so generic, like, people like, you know, just like hiding, like, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to be like something that had like guns and stuff in it that was like too violent or... Or, like, weird for, like, you know, you'd play with, like, uh, kids or, or something like that. And so, um, I was like, well, magic explains everything. <laughs> Anything weird that's going on in any game, you can just say it's magic is the reason this happened. So, um, kind of just skinned it with, like, some little sto- mini story campaign thing from, like, one of the Dungeons & Dragons games about, like, a wizard town. Mm-hmm. And, uh. Wizard Black Market, and seems to be okay. Well, so, well, you tempted. I mean, always when it's tempted to kind of create something, 
you end up adding in kind of lots of different features. Were you quite disciplined when you put it together then? Were you like, no, this is what we're going to do. You know, I'm going to add as little as possible to this and then just see how we kind of get on. Or or did you go through the process and say, actually, probably going to have to strip back a little bit here just to make it all kind of all work? Put in way too much. The um, So th- I think this was like the third game I designed um, mm-hmm. but it's the first one I decided to take to completion because the first one was so mm-hmm. large and I had already um, it was very large and very complicated and I was making mistakes at every single level like um, every time I had to redesign it uh, I would have to print off a bunch of stuff it was a huge ordeal, I had to cut stuff off have to make all these decks, components were changing I wanted stuff like dials it was going to be a heavy box even if I made prototypes um and I was just like, I can't even imagine the mistakes I'm going to make later on that are going to cost me a lot of money, like in shipping and manufacturing. So um, this was the smallest game and the simplest. It just had cards and like wooden tokens and it was a small box. So I knew it would be cheap and cheap to ship. Um, so that's why I pursued it. But I had already learned a lot of lessons for the other games of like, not putting in quite too much and then kind of adding them if you need to later. Because if you start off with too many things and something doesn't work, you're like, all right, well, I mean, which of these 50 mechanics is messing it up? Like, is it them interacting yeah. with each other? Is it one thing in particular? Um, yeah. yeah. And so it started with less. And at first it was like, okay, well, this is super boring and not fun. <laughs> and <then laughs> added in some more stuff and it's like, okay. Uh, this is more interesting, but I wish you could do this. Well, in order to do that, you'd have to change this. And was kind of going through that. Um, the stripping out features really came from um, the card effects themselves um, to really kind of isolate like the window of when something could happen. Um, kind of like Magic the Gathering. Like we we don't have like a last in first out like stack. So you know exactly how everything processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we tried to eliminate uh, anything that would like interrupt someone else's action, because then do they finish it? Do they do their effect first? Do you do your effect? And it was just all of these crazy edge cases. And so we really kind of simplified it to the point where like um, our kind of like more casual uh, game friendly uh, like pals could pick it up, read the instructions, and wouldn't be immediately confused by something. Like, something might come up, but it at least seemed uh, playable, like, in the, uh, to someone who was kind of new to it. And even if there's somebody old to it, a confusing rule is a pain in the ass. There's nothing that's going to put me off playing a game if I, if I am not sure of a rule myself and then I have to explain it to somebody else and then you end up, I, mean, I think everybody's been there, you, you end up with that kind of like confusion two minutes where everybody, and you end up reading the same sentence like five times. So it says, if it's two, then you discard. If it's two, then you discard. And you read it like, you know... And then everybody's looking at it as, well, what does it mean then? And there's nothing worse than having that rule because then if it people are then, well, we don't know if we played it properly, which means we don't know if the person who won was meant to win or the people who lost were meant to lose or if we got the right score and things like that. And so when it comes back to it again, people are less, oh, is that the game that we played where we weren't sure about the rules? Do we not have something else that we're sure we can play? that we know how we're going to play kind of thing. Right. Yep. And it's a bit different than like playing a really big, complicated game, like, Mm. you know, Tricarian or or something like that, where at the end you're like, oh, hey, yeah, we weren't allowed to do this. (laughs) That that three hours of game is null. Yeah, but even even I find in the really big games, they seem to have their mechanics kind of, they really seem to have their mechanics down and it's usually not... They're usually the base rules are all set, so they're usually pretty easy to learn and it's the, usually the big... You know, it's the smaller games I've always kind of went, you what? <laughs> What's that? Kind of thing. 
Um, yeah. yeah. I think I had more pressure on that than... So my actual day job is technical writing, so like writing rule books, wow. but for like software engineers. So I, I wrote the rule book for this and the the new game and the... Uh, I, I, I think I probably went over it too much because I was like, this has to be perfect because if it's not, I have no excuse. <laughs> and was trying to see how other games would describe stuff and be consistent. And I was like, well, I need the in-order phases, but also the reference in the back because that's what I want in a game. <laughs> and the, I, some people really liked it. Uh, the- some people hated it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, yeah, I the people, you know, post board, board game geek comments on it every now and then. And one of them was like, this is the worst rule book I've ever read in my life. <laughs> and I was like, that hurts, sir. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> but Please don't, you know, don't say that. Please don't say that again. Say anything you want, you know, you know, kind of, you know, say nasty things about my pets, you know, slag off my cooking. You know, even tell me you don't like the shirt I'm wearing, but please... Spare, spare the rule book. You know that's cutting, that's kind of cutting, cutting kind of deep. But it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, you know, and the, I suppose the other thing is as well is the last thing you wanted to do is be, to like be tagged and linked in by somebody to say, oh, you want to take this person on as a technical writer? You should see this pile of garbage that he claims, <laughs> claims a rule book, <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, ah, oh, damn it. Caught, yeah, it it's it's strange cool. because like you you think you're just explaining how to play your game, but then you take for granted how many terms and concepts <laughs> someone may never have heard of before. And the uh, like so, something as simple as uh, I, I think like in the game, you know, you you deal out. It's like deal nine face down cards uh, to each mm-hmm. player, mm-hmm. and then deal each a hand of two items. Uh, you're ready to begin. And I'm watching these people like playtesting the game, you know, like just reading through the rule book. And they're reading that. They finish that sentence. You are now ready to begin. They look at their hands. Hey, I've got a boomerang. Do anybody want a boomerang? And they just start trading cards. I'm like, <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? And they're like, we're just trading cards. Uh, you can't do that. And they're like, well, it doesn't say we can't. It's like, um, I. Technically true, but <laughs> normally in games, you, you can unless it tells you you can do something, you can't. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh well, all right, whatever." And then, but it's stuff like that. I've seen like, that. I, that never would have occurred to me. Yeah, but I've se- but I've also seen that in terms of like say blind playtesting, and you can tell the people that have been doing they've been playtesting, but they've always been available. And then you've got the next level of blind playtesting because it's it's, a, it's leaps and bounds between how a rule book can be written. Because I have read, because I I get a deal, I get a, a lot of kicks. I get sent quite a few kind of kickstarters here, there, and everywhere. And some of them you can instantly tell that somebody has somebody has been doing a lot of blind playtesting because it basically is almost a case of you know it explains absolutely everything. And that's right, it should do. Somebody should be able to basically be handed a box and the instructions and be able to play without having to do anything. And other people, you read the rules and it's like, it's almost like you're expecting the designer to be standing over your shoulder and kind of picking in and saying, all right, you should be doing that. And it's a bloody difficult thing to do because you, at that point, you've probably been eating, sleeping and breathing the same thing for the last six to eight months at least. So to you it's really really blindingly blindingly obvious while to somebody else they're just like this doesn't make any this doesn't make any any kind of sense but um, I mean it obviously made enough sense because Arcane Alley kind of went ahead and, and it kind of funded um, with regards to the project you've got coming out next you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah so um so this is an expansion to arcane alley uh you do need the base game you need like the board and the uh like the, the tokens and and uh the the, uh, the item deck that comes in it um mm-hmm. so this kind of it's like uh the 
the theme is like a werewolf merchant comes to town and there's like this magical emerald moon and so all the new items are like these moon items and there's a moon phase that kind of changes every turn and depending on which phase it's on certain items will do special things um but uh it, it kind of i think adds a little level of depth to arcane alley that um wasn't wasn't really there because originally i wanted to release the game with this stuff and it was mm-hmm. just too overwhelming for like the casual playtesters and I wanted to hit a game that could one play up to six people um and that uh I could enjoy and my friends that play a lot of the uh kind of like complicated games could enjoy but also if someone was just new they wouldn't feel overwhelmed and the expansion stuff was just a little too much um but it adds a like a market, so it changes the way you can draw cards. You can now buy them, and it mixes with the other item deck. You use like half and half of each. Oh, and, okay. uh, and like the original game is about making sets of magical items. You know, you make three of a kind. And now <laughs> the uh, half and half deck, uh, they'll be like... Everything new is like creepy. It's like a new creepy, foresty, haunted kind of thing. And uh, have it scheduled so that it'll be... Uh, sent to backers to arrive uh uh in October before Halloween so <laughs> all right cool but uh let's say you have a i think the base game there's a sovereign sword it's kind of like sword in the stone or something yeah, and yeah. uh the new game has a skeletal sword so it's like a sword made out of like skeleton parts that's they both kind of look similar like the art style and stuff like that but you can sell a yeah. set of any sword so two of one one of the other and stuff like that. Um, but they all have new effects. And I would say the uh, base game, Arcane Alley, like your strategy really is keep your... Uh, you want as much gold as possible. You want as little infamy as possible. You get too much infamy, you gotta pay fines. And like, right, okay. you know, spend your gold. But um, I would say the the basic strategy is keep your infamy as low as possible and then try to make gold. Um, but play it safe more often than not. And uh, the new game is really... You have so many more options on your turn. It's mm-hmm. not about like whether or not you can sell a set. It's which one do you want to sell? Which one would be better to sell now? Which one could you save for later? And which effects should you time at certain turns to really maximize uh, your turn? So if you like that kind of like crunchy like stuff, um, this lets you do it. But uh, someone who's a re- like familiar with the base game can still just be like, "I like eggs. I'm gonna make eggs," <laughs> and they can just still, <laughs> you know, do that and and be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So these yeah. really give you little advantages, but. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's it's really fun. Um, if nothing else, the uh, the market part can be used in the base game just to give people more draws. Um, are, are you if people come in to pledge for the expansion, are you also selling the original or allowing people yeah. to back for the original as well? Yeah. Yep. There's um the uh, I have a few different like pledges but you can you'll get the original for a discounted price um and you can get the deluxe tokens that were on the original kickstarter Mm -hmm. that were exclusive to that um but they're not going to be cheaper than the original kickstarter so people who backed it the first time uh yeah should still feel like they they got the best deal um because they were they were there they were the first supporters and um and the newcomers, they do get a deal, but it's not quite as good as that. Um, but it should still be a reason reason to back. Yeah, and I th- these lined up perfectly, so I, I'm going to brag about the pledge names because I, I love a nerdy theme. <laughs> so if you just want the expansion, it's the new moon. Okay. Uh, if, you want, if you want both the expansion and the base game, it's the full moon. Uh-huh. Um, if you want everything, including the deluxe pieces, it's the super moon. 
And uh, if you're a retailer, it's the uh, Sailor Moon. <laughs> I've no words. You've sat and thought about this, obviously. <laughs> We're with um. As a question, as you mentioned, deluxe components. Do you think there's a pressure, or did you feel a little bit of a pressure, to produce kind of like two versions of the game? Kind of like because I, I see a lot nowadays, even in kind of like um. You know whether people are going to like the first or the second or the third campaign. There seems to be a little bit of pressure for people to have. Here's the base game, and then here's the deluxe super duper edition. Um, yeah, there is. Uh, um, I, I, I so I don't know if this is explicitly said by a lot of people in the community. Like, in, in fact, most of the people on like the the groups that that I'm in, the Facebook groups and like on Board Game Geek and stuff, they they say they don't like exclusives. Like almost across the board, the people that comment are like, "I don't like this. I yeah. just want everything in the game, and I just want to buy the game as is. I don't like stretch yeah. goals that give you exclusives later on, and like as a stretch goal that should just be in the game." But statistically, that's not true. Like the the deluxe thing I added on the day before the campaign went live, um, and one of my good friends who has run a couple campaigns, he was like. Make one with these, just do it and set the price to be this. Yeah. And people will get it because it's the only time they can get it and other people won't have it. Like if anyone gets it in a store later, they won't have this version. Yeah. And I was like, all right, man, I, I guess I'll do it, but it seems I don't think it's going to be worth it. Uh, 80% of my pledges were the deluxe version. Like, is insane. Like, if I hadn't done that, I honestly don't think I would have even funded, um, because it was a uh, it was ten dollars more than the uh, than the base version, and I did fund, but not by a lot, and I I, I don't think it would have it would have even funded um, had I not done the d- deluxe version because people do want that and they do want the exclusives, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, but I mean, in all fairness. Um... Your price point isn't horrifically high. In fact, I would put you in kind of like the lower, the lower tier in terms of price point. I mean, I've seen terms and differences in deluxe between like, you know, the standard game seventy nine dollars and the deluxe version is like a hundred and nine dollars, and you're just like, okay, kind of thing. Um, whereas twenty nine, because that's what it was twenty nine dollars that the the original was for. That's to me. That's <clears throat> pretty decent. That's a really decent price, especially for like a deluxe thing. It would have been the yeah. case. That would have been, you know, that was that was a that was a that was a kind of a good thing. Um, you've thought up these fabulous pledge names, but do you have fabulous pledge figures? I mean, how much is it going to be to get your to get your ticket into the alley again of the moon? <laughs> yeah. So. To get just the expansion, it'll be nineteen bucks okay. uh, plus plus shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, to get both of them together, it'll be thirty nine. Yeah. And to get uh, both of them together plus all the deluxe pieces, it'll be forty eight. Um. So still, I think on the lower end, when you get you know considering you're getting the expansion and the uh, game and. And there are a few exclusives this time. I, there's a there's going to be a special item that only the backers can get. Uh, yeah. There's going to be a special wizard that only backers can get. And there's going to be like an enamel, like werewolf head pen that uh, every backer gets. Is it going to be Kickstarter fan fiction? Like we <laughs> spoke about earlier. Are you thinking about doing that as a stretch goal? Um. No. No, probably not. <laughs> Probably not. It's like the world's like a little too. It's a little too like tongue in cheek, hokey. Um, yeah. The uh, I've been posting like the old art and like the uh, Jeanette Ramos is the artist, uh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Artist for this, I've been posting like uh, the like before and after and kind of the story of how to we got there, and I'll be posting like those little design diaries on like Board Game Geek during the Kickstarter campaign. Well, not because. Uh, just so people can check them out, but um, 
The only story will be failure of previously designed items and mechanics. <laughs> the, the the epic tale of <laughs> the epic the, tale of Corwin the, Riddle. The item that never was. Yeah. The, <laughs> the epic tale of Corwin Riddle who entered the bar and produced his fiddle and then he said <laughs> Is he t- I can't finish it off. Um because I can't think of rhymes that don't end up with you doing a piddle. Uh, so there you go. Um, in terms of the campaign, how long's when's it start? When's it kicking off, and how long is it going to run for? It starts uh, next Tuesday, which will be January twenty eighth, and it's going to okay. run for just over two weeks. I think it ends the following Wednesday. All um, right. Okay. Last time I did three weeks, and it was just. It was just like there were just like four days in the middle that just felt like because, you know, it starts off high and then it kind of goes down yeah. and then it like yeah. like plateaus and then it ramps up again in the end. And yeah. it just felt like there was like this one middle of the week, like a Monday through Friday where it was just like, oh, is this still going on? You know, it's just like it was yeah. still getting some yeah. pledges, but not really. Yeah. I think one day I actually had negative pledges and I was like, this Ouch. was just slightly too long. Um and I think two weeks is a good good time to be notified and yeah, it's enough time to, you know, like get everyone, like it's enough time to engage people, I, I, I think, for, for two yeah. weeks. Yeah, no, cool. um, that's cool. Without dragging on. Good. No, I mean, um, we'll obviously, we'll make sure we put the, the link in the show notes um, so people can go and check it out. If they want to keep an eye on you on what you're up to and what you're doing on the internet webs, where do you exist on the internet webs, Mr. Riddle? I do have a website. It's strangespacegames.com. Um, mm-hmm. But the Facebook group, uh, Strange Space Games, uh, is probably where they will get the most content because I post stuff from Instagram. Um, I post mm-hmm. uh, like a lot of like photos and stuff of like the games and playtesting cool. and I'll actually be posting like some um horribly produced uh like videos of just me and my friends playing uh the expansion just uh it's kind of like a I guess not live stream late stream I don't know <laughs> later stream <laughs> but uh but just something so people can if they're interested they can get an idea that sounds cool now I'll make sure, as I say, we'll make sure we'll take all the links off you and we will put them in the show notes so people can click away to their heart's content and come and track you down um, like the um, like the person that you deserve to be tracked down for. I don't know where I was going with that. It was going to be, you know, I stalled halfway through and then I backed out. So there you go. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you'll find us on various places um, old places, new places, you know, anywhere at all. We're sporadic, horrific, spreading, and potentially must be stopped. But there you go. Um, if you like what you've listened to, tell somebody else because that's how you know that's how we get in more people's ear holes. Um, if you like us even more, then consider going to Apple Podcasts and consider dropping us a rating or a review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. But don't give us one because <clears throat> it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. And I am just, I'm just so average. I'm like Joe out of you. Psychotic. Um, but the person who's not been average is the rather wonderful, rather fantastic Mr. Corwin Riddle. So thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. No, oh, it was very, very good fun indeed. There's only two more things to do. I'm dreading the first question because the first question is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Corwin? We are merchants first and foremost. <laughs> that wasn't a no. That wasn't a no. Um. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Corwin. Say goodbye, Corwin. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And um, 
check out Arcane Alley, check out the expansion as well, which you can follow in the show notes if you just click away. And until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never linked. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 